As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, y'all. Thanks for listening to Killer Queens. Or KQ if you're nasty. Welcome to the show where two 90s loving country chicks gab about true crime and tell each other to talk to the hand because the face ain't listening. I'm Torella. And I'm Tori. And we're sisters who have always loved true crime and decided to turn that obsession into a show with a light take on the topic. Kind of like diet true crime, it's all the flavor of fewer calories. Mm. Now with our show, you'll get true crime, 90s nostalgia, and a few four-letter words sprinkled in. Because I always say that Polly Pockets and true crime go together like peas and carrots. Be sure to check out our case submission form on our website at killerqueenspodcast.com and follow us on social media and YouTube. Now grab your Sunny D, your Gushers, and your Thai Beanie Baby, and let's get into the episode. Hey, you guys. Hey, guys. <sighs> This one is a cold case, and for, finally, we have one that's solved. Uh, thank the good Lord in heaven. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we do have some trigger warnings, so let's just go ahead and get that out of the way. Yeah. Murder. I think you saw that one coming. Yeah. But we are going to deal with some sexual assault. Yes. And we want to thank Trisha Ann for suggesting it. Mm -hmm. You're supposed to say, hey, girl, thanks. Oh, hey, girl, thanks. What do you mean? I forgot my own lines. Yeah. I know. And we also want to thank Madison for writing it up. Hey, girl, thanks. There you go. Okay. There it is. That's what you got with the program. Yeah. All right. Let's um, Let's do an overview. I love that idea. Thank you so much. On February 16th, 1974, 17-year-old Carla Walker and her 18-year-old boyfriend, Rodney McCoy, left their Valentine's Day dance at their school and went to cruise around town in Rodney's mom's car. They stopped at a nearby bowling alley so Carla could use the bathroom. Afterwards, as the two young lovebirds fooled around in the parking lot, a man yanked open the car door and pulled Carla out. He beat Rodney unconscious, and when Rodney awoke, his girlfriend was gone. Several days later, the high school cheerleader was found dead in a culvert, a victim of rape and strangulation. Police only had one suspect in mind, Rodney, the high school quarterback, but Carla's family was adamant that Rodney would never hurt their daughter. Were they right? Was Carla a victim of opportunity by a stranger, or was their daughter brutally attacked and murdered by her high school sweetheart? Darn. I know. That's what I thought, darn. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the only word. Let's talk about the window open scale. Oh, sure. Okay. 
How do we feel about that? I would say fairly open. I would say I would say open. I think once we get to to a trial. Oh, yeah, that's going to be wide open. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I hope by now you've got a pile of things that you won't miss if you throw out your window. Yeah. But should you need to throw something out important, your hands are tied. Yep. Can't you know? help that. People, and I, I don't, I don't, something's got to go. Okay. Oh, sure. Yeah. Something's got to go. Yeah. Carla Jan Walker was born. Uh, what? What? What did Are I Are we going to, is Hillary going to bring us into this? <gasps> My God. Queen Hillary, I'm so sorry. Of course. Are Hillary, we going to go us- back to the beginning? Yes. Yep. Hillary, take us back to the beginning. Let's go back, back to the beginning, back to when the earth, the sun, the stars all Carla Jan Walker was born on January 31st, 1957 in Fort Worth, Texas to Father Layton and Mother Doris. Did I say that right? Doris, sure. I can't tell you about (laughs) I know Doris. (laughs) I'm just Uh, saying. Carla was one of several siblings, but was closest to her older sister, Cindy. Cindy said that she and Carla were not only sisters, but they were best friends. The two shared a bedroom, and they shared a bedroom, I think she said for 17 years, so, like, of their did. whole lives. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there, she said, it, like, if there was a picture of one of them, the other one was in it. Like, they were always right next to each other. Cindy said that despite Carla only being 4'11 and weighing 100 pounds, her sister was a spitfire. She described her as funny, sweet, but tough and stubborn. She didn't give up easily. And when Carla was turning 16, she told her family that she really wanted a brand new car, um, a Monte Carlo, to drive with her new driver's license. And she was like, look, if you can't get me that, that's fine just to get me nothing. Like, she's very like Sally. And when Harry met Sally, when she's ordering the food (laughs) and she's like, I'll have the pie with the, what does she want on the side? And she's like, ice cream on the side. Yeah, and this also on the side. And if you if you can't do that on the side, then nothing. And she's like, not the pie. She's like, just the pie, but nothing else. Like, Well, she's like, I want the pie heated, and I want the ice cream on the side. And they're like, mm-hmm. and she's like, and if I can't have the ice cream on the side, then nothing. They're like, not the pie. The pie? Yes, the pie, but the not heated. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The not heated. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I am also Sally, by the way. Yes, yes. I got I got to are... have shit exactly the way I want it, yeah. High maintenance, but you think you're low maintenance. <laughs> I really do. I, I think I'm not that bad, but <laughs> everybody around me begs to differ. So right. she Spoiler was just alert, like, yeah, exactly. So she's just like, I want this Monte Carlo. And if I can't have it, then just like literally do not get me a car. I don't care what happens. And I don't think she was being a snot about it. She was just like, this is no, the only she, thing that I want. So yeah, she was like, if I can't have it, then like 
then I can't have it. Don't worry. But I don't want anything else. Yeah. So Cindy was like, lo and behold, we get home one day and there's her Monte Carlo. She got exactly what she wanted. Her younger brother, Jim, said that Carlo was always popular and had a lot of girlfriends. And he thought she'd go to college after high school and she had talked about wanting to become a veterinarian. Carla attended Western Hills High School in nearby Benbrook, Texas. She was a cheerleader and was dating one of the most popular boys at Western Hills. I mean, this is the standard, like, Mm. cheerleader and quarterback, right? Oh, yeah. Rodney McCoy was a senior and the quarterback of the Western Hills Cougars football team. They were referred to as one of the high school's it couples. They spent their weekends cruising Camp Bowie Boulevard. Carla's girlfriend said that they would usually drive to one location, hang out with friends, then drive to another. Just kind of everybody, you know, be bopping around, if you will. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Be bopping. Yep. Uh, one of her classmates described her as, quote, the kind of girl who smiled and said hello to just about everyone she saw in the hallways. The same classmate said that it really seemed like everyone at school liked Carla. She was popular and beautiful with blonde hair and blue eyes and probably the target of a lot of envy, but Carla was, like, way too nice to have anybody dislike her for it. I can relate. So sweet. Oh. Just kidding. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to breeze past that one because I don't want to hurt your feelings. (laughs) Well, damage is done. Yep. Carla had it all. She was well-liked. She was making good grades in school. She had a boyfriend who loved her and friends and family who thought the world of her. Carla had even confided in some of her friends that she knew that she and Rodney would end up getting married and having children together one day. And I really mm. think they would have. Uh, I do too. Their, their love was real. Like, yes, he so had gotten sweet. her a promise ring and everything. Mm-hmm. How sweet is that? The two even talked about attending Texas Tech University together, Rodney that fall, and then Carla the next year. So everything was falling right into place for Carla. On Saturday, February 16th, 1974, 18-year-old Rodney, who was Carla's boyfriend, arrived at the Walkers' home to pick her up. He was running late because he forgot her corsage, and he was (laughs) like, I had to go back and get it. I knew better than to show Mm -hmm. up without that corsage. Absolutely not. Even though she was Mm -hmm. pissed that he was late, she would have been more pissed if he forgot the fucking corsage. Absolutely. She'd be like, are you fucking Um, kidding me? We cannot go to this dance without the corsage. (laughs) Exactly, yes. And... He, of course, like, you know, like we said, he knew she was going to be upset that he was late. But as soon as he saw her, he was like, okay, never mind. I, you know, this is perfection. And everything just seemed to slip away. And he said that once he pinned the corsage to Carla, she forgot about it too. Like everything Mm -hmm. was great from that moment on. Yeah. Carla, who was 17 at the time, was wearing a powder blue dress. She had soft curls in her blonde hair. She was wearing the promise ring that Rodney had given her a few months earlier. The couple left the home and Rodney drove them to high school or to the high school in his mom's 1969 Ford LTD. The theme for the dance was love as a kaleidoscope and the school's cafeteria was covered. Cutting edge in 1974, like kaleidoscope. (laughs) Right. Hey, you guys, um, it's us again. Yay, it's us. We threw, we threw you for a loop on this one. Uh, so we know that a lot of you have been asking like WTF, where are episodes one through 44? And guess what? Now you can have them. So let's just remember though, we need you to take a little caution here. We didn't know exactly what we were doing back then. And we started this podcast as just a fun thing to do as sisters. We had no idea that it would grow into this super awesome club with you guys. 
So what we're saying is the audio wasn't super amazing, but the content is 100% us, just being us and talking about some true crime with 90s flair. Okay, so here are the details. You'll be able to access our, what we're calling OG episodes in your favorite podcast app through a private and custom RSS feed link. So to grab that, head over to killerqueens.link slash OG and snag episodes one through 44 today. That's killerqueens.link slash OG. But of course, the cafeteria was decorated in what you would expect probably for a Valentine's Day dance, red and pink everything. Carla and Rodney danced with friends and everybody looked like they were having an amazing, wonderful time. Around 11.30 p.m., the dance ended, but nobody really wanted to go home yet. Rodney and Carla invited another couple to join them, and they cruised around Camp Bowie Boulevard. One of the top hangouts on a weekend night for high schoolers was the local Taco Bell. Yum. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ours was Sonic. It seems like in a town, like, I mean, where are you going to go when you're in high school? You know what I mean? Like, you're not old enough to go to a club or a bar or Mm -hmm. something, so you got to make it work, but... I'll take any fast food joint. I mean, come on. I love, sure. well, They're open Taco Bell is my choice. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. I'm trying to let go of the anger that I feel about the Mexican pizza debacle, but, and it's what been hard. Scandal. Don't get me wrong. Scandal and a half. I know, but I still do love Taco Bell. Yeah. Um, I can't quit them. Um, but anyway, Nevertheless, so Taco Bell was where the, everybody hung out. And they also stopped by a few other places to hang out with friends. And then around 1230, Rodney dropped off the other couple. So it was just him and Carla. And she needed to use the bathroom. So they stopped at the nearby bowling alley, which was Brun- Brunswick Ridgely Bowl. Back in the parking lot of the bowling alley, Rodney and Carla started fooling around in his car. While they were kissing, Carla leaned back against the passenger door. And she put her purse behind her head up against the armrest, kind of like a pillow. And then all of a sudden, the passenger side door burst open and both Carla and Rodney's heads fell out of the door and they looked up and saw a man standing there with the gun. He started hitting Rodney over and over in the head with the butt of the gun. He then stuck the gun inside of the car and Rodney said that he was holding it about three to four inches from his face. He said that he heard the man pull the trigger and heard the gun click three to four times, but it never fired. When Rodney looked up, he was trying to wipe blood away from his eyes, and he saw that the man had Carla by the arm and was pulling her out of the car. He was still swinging his pistol at Carla or at Rodney and was striking him. And finally, Carla yelled at the man to stop hitting Rodney and that she'd go with him. And Rodney said that he was trying to stay awake and keep the blood out of his eyes. And as the man pulled Carla away, she told Rodney to go get her dad, and then she was just gone. Rodney said that he blacked out, and when he woke back up, he wasn't sure how long he'd been out, and his first thought was to go get Mr. Walker, so he put his car in drive, and he headed to the Walker house. I cannot imagine the fear, and I mean, you're not thinking clearly either because you've just been knocked unconscious by, oh, Mm -hmm. just terrifying. Mm -hmm. Well, and like, it kind of reminds me of that song, um, Oh, Valencia, Oh, don't. Because she's like, just to, I'll go with you. Fine, I'll go with you. So sad. Mm -hmm. Just Mm -hmm. stop hitting him. I thought you were going to say, because I just heard it yesterday, don't take the girl. Yep, I did think about that too, but I just, now it's stuck in my head. Bitch. Well, I'll take anything over I Love a Rainy Night, which has been stuck in my head since I woke (laughs) up. Why? (laughs) I don't know. 
Whoa. Now it's stuck in my head. Again, I say, you bitch. <laughs> I love it. I love a rainy night. Don't do I it. love a rainy night. Oh, well, if I have to deal with it, you have to as well. So obviously. Okay, but we digress. Um, anyway. So it was around 1 a.m. and the walkers were still awake. Carla's brother and sister, Jim, who was 12 at the time, and Cindy, who was 18, were watching TV. And Carla's mom and dad had been playing dominoes with relatives. Jim heard a car hitting the curb outside and then Rodney yelling for his dad. He pounded on the front door until Jim opened it. And Rodney had blood all over his face and shirt with a huge cut underneath his eye. Jim and Cindy didn't see Carla and Rodney kept repeating, they've got her, they've got her. Jim called the police and Mr. Walker got in his car and sped to the bowling alley, which was less than a mile away. And he was looking for Carla, but she was nowhere to be found. Rodney went to the hospital where he was treated for his injuries and discharged. The next few days were hectic. Cindy said that she slept on the couch in the living room, convinced that whoever took her sister would just drop her off. And like she said, every time she heard a car, she would look through the window. And these are just cars, you know, driving by. And she was like, I was just hoping that they'd, you know, kind of, go really slow and just shove her out, like, mm-hmm. that she'd come home. Can you imagine? I mean, that's, you're not getting any sleep at all because no, you're on edge nobody. listening. No. Yep. Exactly. So sad. Mm-hmm. The local police department, the FBI, and the Texas Rangers flooded the Walker's home asking questions and looking for Carla. And Rodney slept upstairs in Carla's room waiting with the rest of the family. He told the story of what happened that night over and over, telling police that he did not recognize the man, and it didn't seem like Carla did either. Rodney was terrified and still in shock, and he could not believe what had happened. Four days after Carla was taken, investigators and police from across the state of Texas continued looking everywhere for her. Two officers were driving down a remote road about nine miles from the bowling alley when they saw a concrete culvert. It ran underneath the road for about 30 feet and water flowed through it to keep the road from flooding. It was tall enough to stand in, and the officers got out of their vehicle and looked down in the culvert, and what they saw made their stomachs drop. Lying face up in the mud and debris was a young female. The officers immediately knew that it was Carla Walker. She was covered in scratches and bruises. Her blue dress was ripped and covered in blood, and her bra was pushed up over her breasts. Her underwear and pantyhose had been removed and were balled up nearby the entrance to the culvert. She was very obviously dead. The culvert was not on a road that was well-traveled, so most of the traffic that traveled this road would have been going to and from the nearby lake, but it's February. People, There's not many people driving that road. This didn't appear to be a place that someone had just happened upon. They would have had to know about this road. Otherwise you wouldn't end up there. Mm -hmm. Okay, you guys, investigators did an absolutely amazing job of securing all of Carla's clothing and samples taken from her body. Again, this is 1974. Mm -hmm. DNA is not a thing. And they had the foresight to secure all of this evidence in such a way that we can use it later on. I mean, it was incredible. I am just so in awe of people who who do that because yeah you have no idea that it could be yeah, used, exactly maybe and it's just, maybe yeah. yeah they took photos of every single piece of debris or trash that was found uh in the culvert or nearby the fort worth police department was one of the few departments in the country that had their own crime lab and they were the most advanced department in texas and they even had just acquired a brand spanking new high-tech kodak movie video camera hmm? okay so they filmed the whole crime scene 
Mm. Top of the line. Top of the line. I know. It It reminds me of the second Conjuring. Or no, maybe it's... Oh, I can't remember now. Anyway, in one of the Conjuring movies, they have this huge camera. I mean, it's massive, right? Because this is set in the 70s as well. Mm-hmm. It's huge. And... um. Oh, shit. Why can't I think? Something Wilson. What is this? Patrick Wilson. Patrick Wilson. He, yes. God, he's fine. Um, yes. But he is holding the camera and he's like, wow, I can't believe how light and small it is. <laughs> and it's massive because it's 1970, whatever. But Yes. I mean, even the, in the 90s, the video cameras were huge still. Oh, I mean, yeah. camcorders, but it, like, it's well, just I amazing just watched... what we can do with just our phones now. Yes. I just watched Anaconda and I was like, damn, that's a big old... <laughs> This big old camera. Ice Cube had to carry that shit all over the place. Yeah. So after they do all the crime scene stuff, they take Carla's body back to the morgue. So officers go to the Walker home to inform the family of what they found. And they asked Mr. and Mrs. Walker to come to the morgue to identify their daughter. Jim went with them. And he said that when his parents went into the room to identify his sister, he heard his mother scream. And he said... I've never heard anyone make a sound like that. It was like an animal sound. That will stay with me for as long as I live. That just always absolutely breaks my heart. I know. And from what I have heard from, you know, different documentaries and people talking about that sound, it's the same sound that a mother makes when she either finds out or sees or whatever when the realization that your child has passed Mm-hmm. And it's apparently, I, I cannot, I just cannot imagine it. I can't. I can, no, I can't imagine it. I don't know how you continue on. Like it's, you know, and they have other children and, you know, that's one thing that they act, they talked about. Like we have other children, we have to go on. But like, man, the loss of a child, I just can't even imagine it. Mm-mm. It's so sad. The medical examiner determined that Carla had been sexually assaulted and that her cause of death was strangulation. They didn't see any obvious ligature marks and believed that she'd been strangled manually. Investigators sealed Carla's clothing in hopes that future DNA technology may help. There were no fingerprints found on Carla's body or her clothing. The blood on her dress had come from Rodney. There was bodily fluid found on her and her clothing, but technology was not advanced enough to identify who the DNA belonged to. Unfortunately, investigators pretty much had nothing to go on. Carla's funeral was held shortly after her body was discovered. The church was packed full with people standing in the back and outside. And the community was heartbroken, but they were also terrified. Like, nobody wanted to go anywhere. They didn't even want to live there anymore. Carla's girlfriend said that they asked their parents if they could move. Mm. They were so scared. Like, because there's somebody out there who did this. Mm-hmm. And it's honestly, I'm sure, hearing that news, even if you don't know the victim, that's scary. But to know mm-hmm. somebody firsthand that this happened to. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it's got to be just absolutely terrifying. And the fact that police have no suspects is even more exactly terrifying. Yeah. Well, they do have one suspect. Well, yes. And let's talk about that. So um, investigators because they really didn't have anywhere else to turn, they decided to focus on the last person to see Carla alive, and that is her boyfriend, Rodney. And hoping to get more information from him, officers suggested that he meet with a hypnotist. While under, Rodney was able to describe the man he saw well enough for a police um, police artist to make a sketch. And he said that the man talked like a cowboy, 
The officers who sat in during Rodney's hypnosis session said that Rodney continued to get more and more upset. He was crying and sobbing until the hypnotist brought him out of it. One of the detectives described him as, quote, a scared kid, all torn up inside, tormented that he didn't do enough to save his girlfriend. With the mention of the man speaking like a cowboy, police decided to set their sights on the traveling annual rodeo that came into town during January and February. Investigators interviewed everyone involved in the rodeo and carnival, but unfortunately, that did not yield any anything. They remained heavily focused on Rodney and picked through every detail of his account from the night of Carla's abduction. They questioned him over and over, and they spoke to classmates of Carla and Rodney, specifically those who had seen them and been around them on the night of the dance. And everyone said that Carla and Rodney seemed happy. They were having fun with their friends. The couple that went around riding with them after the dance said the same thing, that Carla and Rodney weren't arguing. They seemed like they were having a great night. Yeah. Rodney had passed two lie detector tests, and the Walker family was adamant that they trusted him and didn't think that he had anything to do with it. Investigators had searched the parking lot of the bowling alley and found Carla's purse and a magazine from a Ruger pistol. Police believed that if the murderer had indeed used the pistol to hit Rodney, the magazine could have easily fallen out, which would explain why it wouldn't have fired when he held it up to Rodney's head. And with the assistance of the FBI, police were able to locate and speak with approximately 40 people in the area who owned a Ruger pistol. Some were given lie detector tests, but nobody really stood out to them. And there is a Dateline episode on this. Mm -hmm. They discuss, I'm glad that Mankey with a hanky discusses the whole lie detector test situation. But I'm like, why, 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 why do we always, it always comes up in any documentary about, I mean, anything, uh, uh, articles, whatever. Everybody talks about they were given a lie detector test and they passed. Mm-hmm. They were given a lie detector test, but they failed. You know, quit putting so much emphasis on lie detector tests. It just, it infuriates me. I know because, and it's like, you know, if you are in fact innocent and you pass a lie detector test, they want to keep giving it to you until you fail it. Like, they're like, <laughs> yeah. well, he passed it, but that doesn't mean anything. He passed it, but it doesn't mean anything. And then if you right. fail it, they're like, knew it. I knew it. <laughs> right. Ah, and the thing gotcha. is, you can you can be innocent and fail it the first time. You can be you 100%. can be guilty and pass it the first time. Like, I'm yep. just, I just don't have, they spent so much time and energy giving everybody and their mama and their tiny Jack Russell a lie detector mm-hmm. test. Mm-hmm. Yep. They're like, well, lie detectors don't lie. I know. And dog looked guilty as hell. So. Exactly. We got to give that dog a lie detector test. Unfortunately, investigators seem to have hit a dead end. So they initially had hundreds of tips coming in, but eventually they stopped. They ran everything down, but came up empty. Carla's family tried to keep moving on with their lives, but it was difficult. Um, Cindy had already planned her wedding prior to her sister's murder, which I was like, holy shit, because she was 18 when Carla died. Mm-hmm. She didn't want to go through with it. Um, not at that time, but she was talked into it. Carla was supposed to be her maid of honor. Mr. and Mrs. Walker tried to continue making good experiences and memories for their other children, but Jim said that he could hear his mother crying inside her bedroom. Oh my gosh, when he talks about this. Oh, he he has to stop. I mean, he's just like, it breaks his heart because he said like the way that their parents' bedroom was, was like she'd go in, she'd shut the bedroom door, and then they had a bathroom, you know, like an ensuite, ensuite bathroom or whatever. Ensuite, mm-hmm. So she'd go into the bathroom. And shut that door. So now she's got two doors shut. Then she'd go in the shower and shut that door. 
And cry. Trying so hard. Yes. Because they, I mean, he talked about it. Jim did about how they were trying to stay so brave face and like, you know, let's, let's pick up the pieces. Let's move on. Right. And yeah. I'm sure it comes from who they were as people, but also the times where it's like, you just don't talk about anything mm-hmm. that, you know, let's, let's just move on. We, we still have kids here. And I get that. I totally do. But to hear your mom breaking down and knowing, but she's trying so hard to keep it, like keep it to yeah. herself and not, Oh, that's yeah. even sadder. Oh my God. It's so sad. So sad. In 1977, a man by the name of Jimmy Dean Sasser walked into a police station in Tennessee and said that he murdered Carla. And he was immediately indicted on her murder. But one of the detectives was like, this confession doesn't seem right. Sasser's mother said that her son often got drunk and confessed to crimes. As one does. As one does. Um, The detective felt that Sasser could have gotten all the information he had from the newspaper. Why are these detectives not teaching every other detective how to do their job? I don't know. And that's not making Tennessee. It was around Nashville where he did it. Um, Not making us look And they were like, sounds right to me. We got him. Yeah. Um, Finally. And also, sorry, real quickly. I've been drunk. Terrell, I know you've been drunk. Have you Mm -hmm. ever been so drunk that you're like, I killed somebody. Mm-hmm. And it didn't I happen. I'll tell people I killed somebody. No. Yes. You just get drunk like, and buy stupid shit on eBay. Hey, it's not stupid, okay? Some, Some of form is. of me felt like it needed to happen. And I stand by that girl. Okay. Okay. Shut up. Finally, Sasser recanted, giving absolutely no reason for why he chose Carla's murder to falsely confess to, and he was released. Whatever. Yeah. Cool, dude. Thanks for putting a hitch in the entire, you're wasting time and money and resources. Like, quit it. Mm -hmm. Stop drinking if that's the way that you're going to behave. It's just ridiculous. But So in 2017, a podcast was created about unsolved murders in Texas called Gone Cold Podcast, Texas True Crime. The first case was Carla's. One of the listeners happened to have gone to school with Carla, and she was still wishing that she could do something to help with the case. So she attended CrimeCon and brought along 80 copies of a pamphlet that she made about Carla's case. She handed out those pamphlets to anybody and everybody who could possibly help, including Paul Holes. And Holes is a retired homicide detective who assisted in solving the Golden State Killer case. And he also hosts the True Crime Show. So he found himself extremely interested in Carla's case. And in 2019, the network that his TV show aired on offered to pay the cover of the cost of DNA testing on Carla's clothing. Yep. Thank God the investigators in the 70s had been so diligent about how they sealed and stored the evidence because the crime scene techs were able to find intact sperm on Carla's bra strap. They were able to develop a full DNA profile. But unfortunately, when they put it into CODIS, there was no match. After airing an episode about Carla's case, Holes was contacted by David Middleman, the CEO of, is it Othram? Othram. Okay, that's what I thought, but inside I was like, you know, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. Othram, a forensic DNA testing lab. His lab used a different type of technology to identify a profile and used genealogical mapping to find a match. There was very little DNA left to use, but in July of 2020, Middleman contacted the Fort Worth detectives to let them know that they found a match and they had a name, Glenn Samuel McCurley. There's only one tiny little problem. Um, It's it's small. 
it's not really that big of a deal. Um, Glenn Samuel McCurley died in 1972. I remember this and crime occurred in 1974. Absolutely, yes. So from but, the dead. Right, exactly. But investigators were like, does he have any sons? And they find out, so he had three sons. Two of them had been living in other areas. They weren't even in Texas at the time, but one of them was in Texas at the time of Carla's murder. And his name was Glenn Samuel McCurley Jr. Mm -mm. Now, this name is not new to investigators, and McCurley had actually been one of the men interviewed back in the 70s when police spoke to everyone in the area who owned a Ruger pistol. Mm -hmm. But guess why he was cleared? He passed the lie detector! Yes. He passed a friggin' lie detector test, and he was like, oh, well, that gun was stolen. And they were like, you're free to go. Exactly. Like... What? Okay. Mm -hmm. Maybe it was stolen and maybe somebody else could have used it. But like, what are the fucking odds that somebody (laughs) who lives right down the street from where you live was abducted and killed and thrown into a culvert that only a local would be able to find, essentially? Mm -hmm. And it all happened with with the same pistol that you have, same kind of pistol. But somebody just so happened to have just stolen your pistol. You didn't report it stolen. Mm-mm. But somebody what stole it. What a coincidence. It. Yeah, what exactly. Yep. And this is why we don't trust lie detector tests, okay? Exactly. Because he was guilty AF. I know. McCurley was still living in Fort Worth just a few miles from the bowling alley when this happened, when they got the results back. An officer went out to his residence to get a feel for him and who was living there. And the officer had his body cam on and pretended to be just like doing a welfare check. And he was talking to McCurley's wife when... Who was an unsung hero. Oh my gosh. She's amazing. Mm -hmm. So McCurley and his friend come up the front steps. And when he sees the officer, he kind of like jokingly throws his hands in the air. And he's like, I didn't do a dang thing. And he's like, they're all like... (laughs) Like... (laughs) Doing that, like, old man jokey thing or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That's silly. Yeah. Um, He told the officer that he'd lived there since the 70s, and he was a long-haul trucker. And he didn't seem nervous or concerned or anything. So after dark, the police come back, and they grab several items from his trash can, hoping to find DNA. So they send it to the lab, and they were soon notified that they had a match. And it came from a, a McDonald's drinking straw. Listen, McDonald's will get you in trouble every time. Every single time. Mm-hmm. I can't even go to McDonald's anymore because do you remember when I found that giant fucking bug inside of my biscuit? Oh, God. I, I it spent was part the of last the however long trying to forget about that. Uh, I, I, it's burned in my brain. It was the most disgusting bug I've ever seen. It was giant. And I've, well, oh, my God. I can't talk about it. No, I want to tell you a story similarly, but you will barf right in your own. Yeah, you'll vomit vomit in your own pass pass out. out. Yes, you absolutely will. So I'm not going to say it, but something similar happened. And I was like, you know what? I'm good on McDonald's breakfast. It happened in a McDonald's breakfast too? It was a McDonald's sausage biscuit with cheese. Yep. And it was was your worst nightmare. Sausage McMuffin with egg. Bullet. And cheese. Never again. Ugh. Never again. Nope, Never again. Nope. Nope. Yep. Nope. Hey, you guys. Have you ever wondered about the backstory, like why we call our dad Miss KB? 
We have gotten this question so many times, we thought we'd release a little freebie for you. So we recorded a Patreon-exclusive Q&A last year, and be warned, we were outside and there was some wind, Mm -hmm. where we answered this question, and we want y'all to have the answer even if you're not a patron. Yeah, so be sure to head to killerqueens.link slash misskb, M-I-S-S-K-B, and grab the audio. And don't forget, if you want the full Q&A or access to our entire catalog of over 450 patron-only episodes with all our regular episodes ad-free, you can join the Patreon for less than one and a half Starbucks drinks per month. I mean, that's a good deal. It's a steal. It is. It's a steal. You'll get four episodes per week from us, all ad-free, plus anything fun we do like Q&As or literally anything else. So definitely check it out. And not every tier includes every episode. Yeah, we do have different tiers, so just be sure everything's listed out there when you check it out. But in the meantime, be sure to grab your free audio about Miss KB and how he came to be called that at killerqueens.link slash Miss KB. On September 10th of 2020, Detectives went uh, back to the McCurley home with an audio recorder, and they mentioned Carla this time. And so they asked him, hey, would you, you know, we want to eliminate you, okay? And the easiest, fastest way to do that is if you give us your DNA, and we can, mat- like, test it against the DNA Exclude we have. You. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, oh, they already did that back then. That's why they cleared me, of course. And his wife was like, well, wait a second, honey. They didn't have DNA back then. Of course they didn't take your DNA. And he was like, I love it. <laughs> Thank you. You're right. They right. probably like, didn't. <laughs> yeah. And then he's like, they're like, well, what were you doing the week of Carla's murder? And he's like, well, let me think back. I mean, it's been 46 years or something. So he's like, um, well, my wife didn't drive. And so probably I was carting her around uh, to and from work. So I would have spent most of the time with her, or at least part of the time. And she's like, now, wait a minute. <laughs> you know that I went to Midland to visit my parents that weekend. I wasn't even in town. So you weren't with me. And he's like, thank you, honey. I forgot about that. I'm so glad you have a fucking steel trap of a memory. I know. <laughs> Can you yeah. not for or do you must you remember every little exactly. thing? <laughs> so he was like, "All right, fuck it, fine. I'll just give you my DNA then." And of course, I wasn't with her, and I I don't remember what I was doing. So just go ahead and take my fucking DNA. And right. um, of course, it matched the DNA found on Carla's bra strap. Now, when he he's arrested the next, uh, well, on the twenty first, I guess he's arrested. They bring him in. And they're questioning him, and he tells them initially that he he doesn't know Carla. He's never seen her before. He's never met her. He didn't he didn't know that girl, you know, whatever. Which you always want to get that because then you're like, well, then how the fuck did your sperm end up on a bra strap, dude? If you've never right. met her, like, caught you in a lie. And he finally admitted to the murder. He was 31 years old at the time. And he said that he'd been drunk that night looking for a victim. What is wrong with some people who get hammered drunk? Like, I don't understand how this Mm -mm. is Mm -mm. confessing to a crime, committing a crime. Like, I don't get it. No. And to say that I was drunk looking for a victim, tell me that you're a serial killer or rapist without telling me you're a serial killer or rapist. This is not your first rodeo. Mm -mm. Because you were prowling for victims, you said. Or 
let's say, if it was his first victim, it sure was shit wasn't his last. No, 100% not. He admitted that he'd hit Rodney, Rodney and taken Carla. So let's not call him rotten. My God. I didn't mean to. Rodney. I get that the detectives need to look at Rodney because, of course, you do. You can't just, like, take him at his word on everything, right? But he was knocked unconscious. He was he was beaten pretty badly. But one of the things that they picked apart about his story is they were like, well, he said that the gun clicked at least three times. But this is a—you can't just keep pulling the trigger, I guess. Like, you'd have to— Well, you, I don't—no, I don't think that—because they were saying without the magazine in it, that yeah, without the magazine and it wouldn't, yeah, it wouldn't do that at all. But what if the magazine didn't fall out until after that? Like, what if, what if the gun jammed and then he starts hitting him with it and then that's when the magazine falls out? Like, or, it still I mean, could have. What if he just saw the motion? You know, yeah. like, what if he saw him pulling it, it the does, trigger? Because it does. When but you pull happening. the trigger, it doesn't make the like click click like the super loud click, but if you're, and we know what your brain does when you've got a gun in your face, your brain blurs everything else out and it focuses right there just on that gun. And you are hyper aware of everything about that gun. You can still hear the trigger being pulled. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, but they picked well, that apart and they were like, he's lying, couldn't have happened that way or whatever. And then they were like, and then when he gets back to the Walker home, they also picked apart the fact that he drove to the Walker home instead of the police department and he was like the police station was fucking 30 minutes away the walker's house was like like five minutes away yeah yeah and they picked apart that they said that he told them that he passed out for like five minutes which he i've never heard him say that i've only heard him say i don't know how long i was out yeah and then they said it was like a 35 or 40 minute gap from when carla was taken to when he got to the Walker home and it's only like a five minute drive. And I'm like, cause he fucking passed it. Like, did, did you not hear that? And then when well, he gets yeah. there, he's like, they've got her, they've got her. And they're like, well, he kept saying they, but then he only described one person. Why would you do that? If I was thinking about this and I'm like, if I'm telling a story about somebody that I don't know, I many times will just be like, like, okay, there's a guy doing this or whatever. And then I, I, I will say, and then they did this and then they did that. Like, cause I don't know, I don't know their name. So like, yeah, but it's one person I'm talking about. I wouldn't be like, I don't know his name. I don't know. It's just like, that's what you got. Yeah. It's, they're picking apart stuff that doesn't really matter that, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, he lived with suspicion on him for 46 years. Now, I know. And that is god-awful, terrible. It it drove him out of Fort Worth. It drove him out of Texas completely. Mm-hmm. But I can I can understand to an extent. She, he's the last person to see her alive that they know of, of course, right? Yeah. I get that. Mm-hmm. But McCurley had the gun. He had a gun. Um, I know he passed the lie detector test. So did Rodney, though. Mm-hmm. But... They took him for his word, essentially. They, di- they didn't check his... You know, I understand with warrants and stuff like that, but it's like they were hammering Rodney so damn hard. And then you, ha- you had him. You had McCurley. You interviewed him. Mm-hmm. I know you didn't have much to go on, but you had him. And they were like, okay, well, free to go. I don't know. It's yeah. just... It's Sounds really upsetting to see how much they badgered Rodney to the extent that they did when... I don't know. They were looking yeah. and looking and looking and looking for a reason to get go after him. 
Yeah. And poor Rodney, like, because when they brought, they brought him back in and questioned him in, like, what, 2019 or something? Yeah. And he was just like, they were like, and he was nervous. And he seemed just defeated and all this stuff. I'm like, this is a, this is a man who at 18 years old felt like it was his fault that his girlfriend was murdered. And he was going Mm -hmm. to marry her. This was the love of his life. He wanted to have children with this woman. And he feels absolutely entirely responsible that he didn't protect her. Absolutely. Of course he's defeated. But my God, can you imagine though, thinking, being terrified, I can understand. And I'm trying to be gentle with the way that I say this, because I'm not saying that being scared that you're going to be put in prison, wrongfully convicted is worse than your, because, you know, some people only care about what that means for them. I don't think Mm -hmm. Rodney's that person, but he's living in fear that not only did the worst thing possible happen to him already, but now he might take the fall for it. So then 40 years later, he's getting a call. Can you imagine that fear where they're like, he's like, oh my God, they they still haven't caught anybody. Are they going to charge me? Because they can. Yeah, because they can and they have and they will. Like it happens all the time. Yeah. No shit. He's nervous. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, And he knows that you've been suspicious of him this whole time. Yeah. Yeah. So... McCurley never would admit to raping Carla, though. He just said they had sex. That pisses me off. That really pisses me off. First off, look at a picture of Rodney at 18 and tell me she was going to have sex with anybody else. Nope. Mm -hmm. Nope. He was Mm -hmm. fine. Um, She had no reason to have sex with a dumpy 31-year-old McCurley. Like, I don't think so. Right. And then... He, um, and he cries during the whole interrogation or questioning or confession or whatever. Um, he admitted to choking her. He told police exactly where he had the Ruger pistol hidden in his home, just a mile and a half away from Carla. He still had it 46 years later, Mm -hmm. stuck up in his like ceiling or whatever. Because whoever stole it, put it back. Hello. Exactly. That was really nice of them. Actually, they stole it just as a goof and hid it from him. It's been hidden that whole time. Mm -hmm. I don't even know. (laughs) So detectives were like, well, why did you pick that culvert to leave Carla's body? And he's like, he said he recalled it as being against a building. And they were like, absolutely no building. And he's like, it was next to a building. Stop telling me that. It was next to a building. So I don't know. (laughs) And they asked him many times, did you ever do this to anyone else? Are there any other people? And he was like, nope, just one night, one person. That's it. I don't believe that for a fucking second. Well, because we talked about it a billion, billion times, but... The likelihood of somebody committing a crime like this and being like, got that out of my system, never going to do that again. Right. I mean, I know there are some people that either they only do something once or they're just not connected to the others. But like the way that he he was like, I was drunk and out looking for a victim. Oh, yeah. I just feel like you don't say it that way if it was not a routine thing for I was out looking for a victim. Well, and the the act, the what he did, he yeah. sexually assaulted her and he strangled mm-hmm. her with his hands. And he went for somebody who was with a young and strong boy. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like you have to work up to that because typically I would think that you would want to pick a female who's alone. Right. It, especially if you're new at it. You're not going to want to throw a second person in the mix and get your ass kicked. Like— Sure. Especially if your gun doesn't work. But like, 
I don't know. I feel like if it was his first time doing it, he would have been like, you know, my wife was out of town. I had been thinking about it for a while, and I finally got up the nerve to go find somebody to rape or whatever. Mm -hmm. But that's not what he said. He was just like, yeah, you know, I was just out prowling for victims. Like, it was something he'd done before. Yeah, I don't buy it with him at all. No. Okay, so McCurley initially pleaded not guilty. But prosecutors were like, yeah, um, this is kind of a slam dunk case. So we're going to take him to trial. Ronnie was their first uh, witness. And he brought the court to tears with his account of Carla, the dance, and how she'd been abducted. The prosecution called the rest of their witnesses. They played the video from McCurley's confession. And when it was time for the defense to start their case, they informed the judge that their client had changed his mind. On day three of the trial, McCurley, who was 78 years old at the time, pleaded guilty to capital murder and was sentenced to life in prison. The courtroom was full of emotion. Jim, Carla's younger brother, hugged McCurley's son. I could not believe this. This was amazing. So sweet. Yeah, McCurley's son is so distraught and heartbroken because he found out what his his father did. And mm-hmm. Jim goes over and hugs him. And Mankey is like, wow, that's you're, you're a stronger person than I am. And Jim's like, well, it's forgiveness. Like, that's, mm. you know... They're just sweet Ugh. people. Mm-hmm. They're just sweet. And it's no. not his son's fault. Like, no. can you imagine finding out that your father did something like that? Oh, my gosh. Absolutely not. No. Yeah, I could not imagine. Though both of Carla's parents passed away, both, like, okay, so Jim, Cindy, and Rodney were able to see the man who had killed Carla be brought to justice. And Cindy actually had several children, one of whom, <laughs> she's laughing when she's talking about this, but she named her Carla Jan. And she was like, she's stubborn. She's got short little legs, just like Carla. And she was like, she's punishing me. Yep. She's punishing she, me. She's up there laughing about that one. Uh-huh. Investigators have considered McCurley as possibly re- being responsible for several other murders where young women were abducted from cars or parking lots, raped and strangled to death. And this includes Becky Martin in 1973, Christy Tower in 1983, and June Ward in 1984. His connection to these murders, unfortunately, has not been proven, though. And of course, he's not going to admit to it. I don't know why. He's old as fuck, and he's probably going to die soon, and he's in jail for the rest of his life. Just be like, yeah, I did that. Exactly. If he did, I mean, come on. Yeah. I mean, don't, yeah, obviously, we're not saying to yeah. confess. I mean, the would, MO but. is very similar. Mm-hmm. And again, there's just no fucking way he didn't do this to other people. Absolutely not. Um, And you know what? He got to live his entire life, essentially, mm-hmm. without any ounce of having to take responsibility for what he had done. So the least you could do, because that was a solid that the world gave you. Yeah. It's unfortunate because it should have been brought to justice way quicker. Uh-huh. But you know what I mean? Like, you've had your chance. You got to live your life the way that you wanted to, even though you took somebody else's life, and I'm sure others. Just give it up. Just say it. Yeah. Exactly. But, I mean, we saw with the trial, he was like, um, <laughs> not guilty, thank you. Like, we know well, you did it. Yeah, and he still won't even admit. He won't mm-hmm. He won't use the word rape. Oh, no, but that happens often. All the time. Because, yeah. yeah, they don't want to assume responsibility for what they fucking did. Mm-mm. It's just a big ball of fuckery. Yep. Totally is. Yeah, I'm sorry. I had to say it, and that's all there is to it, so. Yep. But you know what, guys? That's it. 
That's it. Yeah. Let us know what you think. Did McCurley, do you think that McCurley has committed other crimes? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Based on what we have told you, and I'm sure there's um, possibly articles out there, you know, I don't, we don't have all that information to share with you right now, but what do you think based on what we talked about? Yeah. And we'll leave you with that question, but thank you so much for listening. We love you and we will love catch you. you next episode. Bye. Bye. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Connect with us on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening and we will meet you back here next week. Bye. The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. Our logo was created by Sloan Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Visit us at killerqueenspodcast.com for merch and other info about the show. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.